Good morning. Welcome back to Metanoia, the Religious Trauma Podcast. Welcome. If this is your first time, I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining. Today, we will be talking about generational pathology and generational curses. So we're going to go through some psychological concepts and then some theological concepts. And I'm going to do my best to dumb this down. Um, I've done a number of recordings already. And I found that when I would hear them back, I couldn't precisely understand myself. So I know what I was trying to say, but I figured it would be a good opportunity for me to refine my uh, speaking and to redo it. And so this is my third time redoing it. Um, and I want to do it with much more clarity, you know, because when we talk about generational pathology, what that is, is basically the study of generational, you could say, trauma. And what what causes the trauma and how it affects the person's life? And then since it's generational, how that passed down to other uh, people like your descendants. So if you're a grandpa to the son and then the son maybe becomes a father and then he has a son. And so it's passed down from generation to generation. I feel like that's a bit of a given. That's a little more self-evident. But uh, nonetheless, I still want to explain what these things are, um, just in case you don't know what generational pathology is. So uh, pathology is the study of, like it's path, right? Ology, study of cause and effects. Um, you can kind of use pathology um, in, different, in a different context as well. So when it's generational pathology, it's just in reference to things like trauma or, or, or maybe like, um, let's just say somebody has a propensity for a mental health disease um, and it can pass down from generation to generation. Um, like in my family, I think we have some uh, very serious mental health um, history, like like with my some of my family members, my predecessors, you know, like um, not really having good mental health. You know, it seems to be something that is pathological and is passed down somehow. Um, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. The research isn't really concrete um, when it comes to generational pathology. There is understanding about it, and we'll go into um, some of that research. But then you got on the other side, on the spiritual side, you know, theologically speaking, you have generational curses. And generational curses, I feel like a lot of people kind of take them as like you're casting out spirits or it's this very pseudo spiritual thing where you pray for someone and you know you're you're breaking chains and all that stuff and i'm i'm coming from a christian perspective today and so if you're not a christian um i hope you would still join us just so you can you know um walk with me along this path of just learning and you know doing my best to be open to to understanding these things and and i'm coming up with these concepts on my own so it's been a lot of work to just um be able to come up with a comparison like this you know i i, I Maybe there's studies out there about this specifically. I haven't found any that um, I, I seen some concepts on the web, but just nothing that was concrete or going in any of the directions I was going into. So with generational curses, um, let's kind of uh, 
I, maybe I can articulate that through my life, you know, because maybe I can go back and say, well, the mental health issue is the curse, right? You know, and sometimes people might think generational curses are like the flesh. It's like the sinful nature. It's like, well, you have the same kind of sinful nature as your dad and as your grandpa. And so let's just say you guys were uh, very perverse and full of lust and, and your grandpa and then your, and then your dad and then yourself, right? So um, some people think generational curses are things like that. And um, that may or may not be true. But from the research, generational curses are actually just in a nutshell um, from the law of Moses. The law of Moses basically spells out what these curses are. Um, they're from the law of Moses as consequences to disobedience to the law of Moses. And I always kind of wondered why um, it's phrased in the Bible as the law of Moses. Or, you know, and then oh, there's other times where it's like, you know, said as God's law or the law. But it seems that you have God's law, that law is broken, and then in turn, there's cursings. You know, there's... The thing is, the cursings don't... They're not itemized, so it's like, it's not like if you do a specific sin, you get a specific curse. It seems like the curses just manifest as a spiritual consequence, you know, let's just say you you have a good lining of family history. There's nothing wrong particularly. And then somewhere along the line, somebody makes a bad decision to, um, let's just say, be a scam artist, right? They say do something, you know, they steal. So they break, in, in essence, a, one of the Ten Commandments. They steal. And then in turn maybe that activates the curse, right? And so the curse is activated. And, and then now from that, from that person to his son and then to his son, and you know, this is also true with women as well, mother, grandmother, daughter, right? Um, let's just say that that great-great-grandson now um, is poor, you know? The poverty, that was a life-changing decision that, um, put that person in jail and then they're you can even break down you can break it down practically too i mean it doesn't necessarily even have to be super spiritual it, because it seems that generational curses are intended to cause the most amount of misery they're they it robs um you of ease of, of being able to be comfortable being able to have a sense of comfort and, and for the christian you know like <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is known as the comforter, you know, the paracletos uh, or klesis. Um, and this comforter is is there to, to bring ease, you know. And so in a sense that believing in Jesus Christ, you know, you know, he was made a curse. Um, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's in Galatians 3.10. We'll kind of review that a little bit later, but I'm just kind of giving you an overview of generational curses just so... This is what I feel like I missed in the last recordings is like just giving you a, a, a decent understanding of it up front. And we might even come back to some of this stuff in detail, but generational curses are activated in our lives seemingly because of sin and there. And then that sin in turn leads to the curse activating, which would then 
not precisely kill you, you know, and, and, and the curse can lead to, to death, right, as well. Like there's, there's a curse in there that actually says, you know, that, that things won't go well with you and, and, and it'll lead to destruction. So it could ultimately lead to death, but the curses are in the law of Moses, you know, and like, I'll give you an example of a different kind of curse. Like the curse of Adam and Eve is childbearing work and death, right? So those three curses, those are not generational curses, but they are generational curses. Like the phrasing in, is not in the Bible, like generational curses, right? But if you just break down the principle and you look at the story of Adam and Eve, you'll see that in Adam and Eve, you, you know, people have to now work. We have to till the ground. Before they were, it seemed to be, they, it, what they were seemed to be infinite, so eternal, autonomous, so they can make their own choices, beings. So the, in, they, they existed as what seemed to be infinite, autonomous beings. And, but with the possibility of, um, you know, like leveling down, you know, there's the, there's the possibility of, and that brings the autonomy. So whatever they chose to do with their autonomy and in the garden, there was the full provision of God, meaning that, you know, they weren't hungry. They weren't in lack in any way, um, shape or form. They're kicked out of the garden um, there's an angel with a flaming sword that blocks them from coming back in, you know, and there's, um, I think a long time ago, I did like a, a, a sermon on this and it's like, there's a, you know, a prophecy in Zechariah that talks about awake, O sword and strike the shepherd. And then on the cross, Jesus dies, you know, and one of the Roman soldiers um, stabs, you know, his side with a spear. Um, you know, and, and there is some speculation that that spear might have been one of those like spear swords. Um, you know, you don't want to put um, you don't want to put something there that's not there, like read it into the book. But um, the principle is that he was stabbed, you know, and so that stabbing um, released blood and water. And in turn, it seems like that was the way that God had planned for man to be able to enter back into it's like Jesus becomes the gate you know because he absorbs that flaming sword and Jesus becomes the gate the entry back into the garden of eden but it's not maybe um right now seeable or literal but that's what we know as the kingdom of heaven you know the kingdom of heaven um so we're able to go into this infinite realm and as we pray through the body of Jesus, that's why it's the faith of Christ, right? You have faith in Christ and that's your access to God. Um, and you, when you pray, you bring out infinite things into the finite world. So that's why, you know, it's like you have an infinite resource in God. And so going back to Adam and Eve's sin, when they sin, they basically were cursed to be finite beings, right? So now they die, so that's death. So death in that sense is supernatural. It's not like we think that um, living forever is supernatural, but reality is, is that if, you know, we go back to the beginning of the book, the creation story, we can see that what was natural was not our current existence. 
originally. That was not originally the existence that God created man in. So now man has degraded themselves, leveled down to finite existence. We're still autonomous in the finite aspect, which makes us vulnerable to other people. It makes us um, have to live with a sense of like always worrying about bad happening, always worrying about death and always having to work. So then there's a lack of ease, right? There's this existential crisis. And we talked about it with the rats before. It's like, you know, you get, you know, they've done studies on rats. Um, I don't have the exact reference right now. I forgot the guy's name, but just a quick overview of that would, would be like the rat, when it's taken from its natural environment and put into a cage, it goes into this existential crisis, you know, meaning like it's aware that it's, 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 a, it's, it's, let me, let me rephrase that. So going back to the rat, the rat is already, the rat already has an understanding that it should be afraid that there's a lot of danger out there, right? So you can try to create a scenario like they did in the research where they, they shocked the rat. They would shock the rat and then they would associate it with light and then they would take away the shock, they would turn on the light and then the rat would go into panic, right? But what they did not understand originally was that the rat was already in panic from the start before it, before it got shocked. So it was... It, its whole world was destroyed when it was pulled and put into the cage. And so it's interesting, though, that after it's shocked, it kind of goes into this sniffing around mode and, and, and it starts to try to figure out if it's as dangerous as it thought it was. Because the rat is already, you don't have to teach a rat to be afraid. It's already afraid. So that's what an existential crisis is. And so that kind of is replicated in us is that we also are in an existential crisis. And, and well, why? Well, partly because we're going to die one day, you know, partly because we have to work to earn income and, 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 and survive. And, and we have to, it's, it's the sweat of our brow, right? Women, when they give um, birth to children, they have to do it in suffering and pain. So like there's these, there's these almost natural things in us that we're already in chaos. We already start in chaos. And so as we go through life, we're socially engineered to kind of like navigate that and, and help. And, and we're socialized into the world and we're brought up to speed about what, what you should really be afraid of, what you really shouldn't be. And then it seems that throughout history, man, mankind has always found a way to deal with death and that existential crisis um, through the means of religion or you know, so they would like in Greek mythology, you would see something like Aphrodite's or um, um, you would see, you know, the, the god of war. And it was like they use these gods to explain. Um, like concepts as a whole, like the idea of war. So if war comes, that means like, you know, the, the god of war is activated in a sense, it's like he's active right now. So they would use that to explain like why things would happen. And so they uh, had these outlines of, of ideas that were summed up in these gods, right? 
And so man has always seemed to try to find a way to ease the suffering, to ease the pain. And uh, more often than not, that leads to a belief in a higher power in the universe in God and things like that. So that's why a lot of people, um, they can't say we're finite beings. I've only lived 29 years. I can't say like I could never to even have the audacity to say that there's not a God is is kind of arrogant i would say just even just practically speaking in and the idea to say that you know the truth also as maybe a christian believer is also a little bit arrogant as well because you might know the truth but like how much of the truth do you know because if if let's just say we're a speck of dust in god's grand scheme of the world we really don't it's almost like that like the way to i i kind of see it is the way they explained it with like dark matter and dark energy is where that makes up most of the known universe. There's this matter and energy that's immeasurable, untouchable, that, and they don't, can't explain it, right? So, but you look at our world and it's like a point, point zero, zero, zero of a percent of what the, what the entirety of the universe really is. So then when you talk about knowing what, what you might know, it's like, don't really know anything. You know, I remember this one story, um, there was this uh, man, he had a dream, and in the dream, um, uh, God was guiding him in the dream, and God brought him to this library. And this library had, I mean, bookcases with no end in both directions. So, you know, God guided him to this specific um, bookcase. He went to the bookcase. God told him to grab a certain uh, book from a certain section. He grabbed the book. God said, open the book. The man opened the book, and he said, read the first line. And the man read the first line and then God said, that's all you know. And then there's this whole library, right? So that's, it's super interesting that man thinks he knows. And so that's, that's one thing as well. It's like, we don't really know anything. And the idea of God, psychologically speaking, seems to be a counteracting measure of good to help bring ease to man's suffering or his the crisis that mankind is already in considering the finite nature of our existence so if you go back to the creation story adam and eve made perfectly sinned degraded themselves leveled down to this finite existence they're in this crisis curses are spat out right so these are those are not the generational curses, but they're generational. They, they in turn, they're things we all deal with. So that's not going away. That's not going away until, you know, we meet Jesus in the sky and then we come back with him in the second coming. And then he establishes his kingdom on earth and we rule with him for a thousand years. That's not happening. That's not going away until then. To our bodies are transformed when we meet him in the sky. And the, the Bible speaks of our bodies being transformed like his body. So it'll be a new body. Um, it'll be a body that's probably infinite. Uh, it's in, from what the scripture says, I'm pretty sure it's infinite. It's autonomous. And it'll have the ability to do good autonomously, like uh, probably infinitely. An infinite, we'd probably be able to do an infinite amount of good. With, with our autonomy, 
so that we can make infinitely good choices. And that seems to be the kingdom of God, right? Uh, for us, at least. That's not saying what the kingdom of God is in its whole, in its totality, but seems that we'll have that kind of existence where it's like we'll, because, we, because our choices are, are made with the infinite in mind, they're made infinitely good. Our choices would be infinitely good. So, um, now, there's more to that. I don't want to go into that too much to take away um, any time from the actual subject matter, right? But getting back into the curses, it's like the curses happen. So there's a period of time. So from Adam all the way until Moses. So if you know the Bible in any way, you know from Adam to Moses, there's no Ten Commandments. So the conscience is ruled by maybe the knowledge of good and evil, right? They ate from the tree, Um Maybe the knowledge of good and evil is the is the inception or the supplanting or the planting of consciousness of be of, of there being good and bad. Because we know we know there's good and bad. We know that there's good actions and there's and we know that because our finiteness tells us that there's good and bad actions. Because if I if you take someone's life that's bad. Well, why? Because you took away someone's limited opportunity to do something with their life. Right? And it seems that there's a misunderstanding in Christianity because people will read store, read the Bible and they'll read the law into the into the whole entire Old Testament. But you cannot read the law into, into any story from Adam to Moses. So all we have is the knowledge of good and evil. And maybe that's the law. Maybe that's the governing law, right? And so if that's the governing law, then, then in a sense, it's like people who don't believe really don't need um, Judaism per se to understand good and bad. You know, it seems that we without fell in different societies and cultures, um, create hierarchies um, and we try to regulate behavior with laws and rules. And so we get that. That seems to be very understood um, throughout the history of the known world that that's what humans do. So it seems humans create religion. Humans create structures of... of and. In the Bible, we understand that God sent down the law as a way for us to help navigate what's right and wrong, to help, I wouldn't say control each other, but like from a psychological perspective, it's like if an individual by himself um, isn't regulated by other people, and you might not think you're regulated by other people, but you kind of are, because if you if you're married, you understand that you're you're and you have kids, your children and your wife kind of help regulate, or your your husband and your children help you regulate how you should behave, because you want to behave in a way that is advantageous for the whole family. And if you're not, then people are going to say things, and people will will try to stop you, you know, or they'll cut you out of their life, right? You don't act um, in a way that is in the benefit of all. It seems that 
it's very, it's very much that you'll be isolated and then you won't have access to those relationships because you're not acting or behaving well. So it seems that law is a very practical um, structure for mankind, um, almost a necessary structure. You know, I know that um, these structures sometimes can be tyrannical and obviously some structures are bad, like, you know, like what, um, what, like, you know, like slavery in America, you know, how that was, well, that's all, you know, that was obviously bad. And so it's like, well, let's, let's change it. Let's change it to where the structure benefits all, right? And so we did. And so um, we still have remnants of what was in the past, but nonetheless, we have moved forward to a um, society where that's um, acknowledged and, and it's been acknowledged. And to the degree that you might want it acknowledged, it may not be acknowledged, but nonetheless, it's, it's acknowledged. It's understood. You know, I'm Hispanic, so I understand in, in some sense, you know, having my own um, dealings with discrimination. Um, but nonetheless... The structures seem to be necessary for helping people do the most amount of good. And so we kind of corporately, as a conglomerate or as a group, as a group of groups of people, help each other behave better. Right. And so having this law for the children of Israel seemed to be a pretty good outline of how one must behave. And if you don't behave, there's consequences. And those consequences are curses. And the curses seem to cause the most amount of misery in your actual life. These curses aren't just spiritual, it seems. They seem to be very much either psychological. Um, you might have a psychological impediment. You might have a, um, and, and you're like, well, why would God curse mankind like that? Well, why would man not Obey God's law, understanding that doing God's law brings the most amount of good. Okay, and so people's like, well, obeying God's law. So, and I kind of wanted, I'll, I'll, I'll get into this for just a second. A lot of people are like, well, God's law says, you know, if, if a woman was caught in active adultery, then we should stone her. It's like, well, what is, how is that good? You know, and well, that's not the point. The point, that's the consequence. The point is, is. What, what Jesus was trying to actually um, depict was that to love your wife. So not, don't just be a person who avoids adultery. Love your wife. Also love your, like, it's not just an avoidance of sin. It's, it's Jesus changed the focus of what the law was supposed to be for men. Because man was like, okay, just avoid adultery. And so we're legalistic in, in our human nature. And so we measure and say, well, okay, well. I just won't actually sleep with somebody. But in my mind, you know, I'm going to watch pornography. And it's like, well, if you watch pornography, it's like, well, that's where Jesus says, understand that you're still violating the principle. Even if you think a lustful thought about someone that's not your wife, you're still breaking the principle. And so the focus here needs to not be on what you shouldn't do. It needs to be on what you should do. And that's love your wife. That's the command I give you. Love God, right? So then you don't, if you love God and, and you love him with all your heart, soul, and might, it's like, well, you know, you're not really going to have issues with idolatry. 
Because you're going to live your life in accordance with with this all-powerful being giving at the helm, kind of narrating how you should show up in the world, how you should act, how you should behave. If you love your wife the way that's proper, it'll lead to good actions, right? And so if you don't, then there's some curses for you. If that makes sense. Now, it's not this, these curses aren't these like, you know, you lay your hand on someone's head and, and you shake them up and you, and, you, and you go crazy on them and you expel them, you know, and, and, and in some sense that those kind of things do happen and, and there, there are demons and there are possessions and there are things like that, you know. Um, and again, I'm navigating a Christian perspective, so that's a real thing. If you're a believer, that's a real thing. And if you're, you're not and you've experienced it, you don't even have to necessarily believe it and you might understand that it's a real thing. So you can kind of see that these curses, um, again, they're, they're, they're here to cause the most amount of misery. So we'll get through some of the, the curses. Um, but let's go back to the pathology real quick because the pathology seems to be also pretty much the curse in action. And I don't know if it's true or not. It seems to be, though. So if you're thinking about these curses as well, like generational mental health issues, generational um, poverty, generational. It's not your it's not your sinful nature that is. The curse. Okay, in a sense, it is a curse, but it's not generational curses. It's not the generational curses that are like we always talk about and are known. It's the quality of your life is affected. You're, 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 it's almost like supernatural bad that happens in your actual life. So there's this study that was done um, by Vivian M. Rakoff, and he, um, somewhere between 1966 and 1988, um, there was a lot of uh, studies done on Holocaust survivors descendants. So they did studies on the descendants of the survivors. And they found that a lot of these descendants had mood and anxiety issues. And it seems that the DNA learned the DNA learned how to carry it. And so it's passed on. So they didn't go through what their parents went through, but they still kind of suffered from it. Regardless, you know, and, 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 and here's the thing. It's like, well, why would God do this to good people? It's like, you know, we talked about this before. It's like, well, who said we're good? And that's why as a Christian, we always come to this conclusion that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. There's none good. No, not one. Right. It's like, well, who, who gets to say who's good? Right. We can go down and we can really like become com- complicated about that specific question and answer. Um, but from a Christian perspective, it's like, no, you're not good. So then, so don't think like, that's the problem with, that Job had in the Bible is that Job thought he was good. So he didn't deserve bad to happen to him. And then God had to get that out of him. Is it no, it's the rain falls on the just and the unjust, you know, and the rain can be good or bad. I mean, it's like the rain could, could be a terrible thing for you or it could be, if you're in a desert, it could be the best thing. Right. So it's like, 
Good and bad things happen to the just and the unjust. To people that maybe who we deem as good and people who we deem as bad. Um, and obviously it's clear what's bad in the Bible. The Bible makes a very uh, strong state. Bible makes very strong statements about what's good and bad. And then the consequences of it, right? So a lot of times people think like, well, you know, if you're saved, you shouldn't be doing certain sins. And it's like, well, no, if you're saved, you're probably going to do certain sins and you're probably going to suffer really bad for, from the sins you do. So if you, you keep doing things wrong, right? Let's just say, let's just say you don't, uh, how would, how would I put this? It's like, if you steal from somebody and somebody doesn't like it to the extent where they have a bad temper and in their rage, they take your life for stealing, right? That's the consequence. And let's just say you were a Christian. Can you be saved? The answer is, yeah, you can be saved. According to the Bible, past, present and future sins are taken care of. They're washed away. Well, then. How does someone make it to, to heaven then having done that? Because they're going to suffer in this life, the result of doing that. And whether they suffer, and even psychologically speaking, like psychologists out there have said, is like they don't see people get away with anything. People who do bad don't get away with anything. Either they suffer, they may not go to jail, but they, they suffer in, in, in maybe inconceivable ways. If you've ever done wrong, and you can't make it right. You know what I'm talking about. And that should be everybody. If you're especially like a conscious adult, like you, should, everyone, I think I'm pretty sure has that experience. So it's interesting that these descendants had these mood and anxiety issues, and they were severe enough, obviously, to be seeing psychologist and this guy was a psychologist and this is kind of how it plays out in your body so when just imagine that i should put it this way let's just say you're free and clear there's nothing wrong with you right particularly right obviously there's things wrong with all of us but let's just say you know, there's nothing that's you, know, you don't have anything that's present in your mind that's wrong with you and as a human being, let's just say it starts to get stressful at work. Um, you start to worry. Let's just say you're, you're a dude and you're married and your wife, you're not too sure if she's cheating, but she's kind of showing signs that she's disconnected from you. Um, that's actually one of the curses as well, like um, to have a cheating spouse. Um, and then, you know, generationally, those maybe the women in that family or the, the men in that family are cheaters. Right. So it's passed down. That's what the curses say They're, that these curses, these habits. Um, supernatural proclivities, in a sense, it almost seems um, and they're a result of sin. Happen. Happen to people. So. Let's just say you have that stress in your life now, right? So this is what happens. So there's something called the HPA axis, okay? Biologically speaking, 
It's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. So this is how this plays out. Stress happens. Your body from the pituitary gland releases hormones. Okay. The hypothalamic or hypothalamus controls the release of the hormones. So it's like a regulator of, of how much, right? Or, or if it's even allowed to release. So the pituitary gland can release the hormone. Um, the hypothalamus controls the release. And then the adrenal gland, which is right on top of the kidney, mobilizes cortisol in response to the stress. And obviously too much of this is really toxic to the body. And this is why some of people get sick, right? Um, so response to stress, and it uses glucose as energy to deal with the stress. And then therefore creating a lack of ease in your body. You'll literally have a lack of ease, a lack of rest, the inability to be comfortable, the inability to, to just sit and be at peace with yourself. So you'll have this whole, there's this whole cycle analytical pathology here of how your body responds to stress and how it chemically puts you in a, in a, in a state of unrest. And so most of what's, a lot of people think you're regulated like by your mind and you're not, you're not, you're regulated by, you're more regu you are regulated by your mind um, in some senses, right? But like the hypothalamus is, is reactionary to the outside world. So it's like, if you get in a dire situation, you'll go into this animalistic mode and it'll take over and it'll, it'll almost like, like think about it. If something's coming for your neck, what do you do? You naturally, almost instantly, you'll put your head down and you'll, you'll cover and you'll duck and you'll try to block your neck. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's almost built in you. And so that's almost like a, a, a natural response to the need to survive with that need to survive so your body will do that automatically so then the curses seem to make a bunch of things bad happen and and in turn that can change some of your chemistry and then you can pass that down in dna and then your children can suffer with it too so i'm not saying that that's exactly how it works i'm just saying that's where this research seems to kind of lead me and then when you get into, um, I think there's a, a verse in John 7. So John 7, I think it's 49. So in the context of uh, John 7, they're talking about the law of Moses as well. So there's a verse here that says, but this people who know not the law are cursed. And so there's also this understanding that you don't need to know the law of Moses to be cursed by it, per se. Right. It almost seems to be a um, systematic spiritual structure that's placed into the world. That's part of the unseen, right? That when people do bad, there's this almost spiritual response of curses being released. Almost like um, automatically, right? And... Some of us would understand this as just as like, okay, well, you do bad, you get bad. And yeah, and you deserve bad because you did bad. And 
you can call it a curse. And it, that's just if you're real practical. That's the way to dumb it down, right? If you're bad, right? You're going to get bad eventually. And then that bad is so bad that it'll be bad for your children. <laughs> and then it'll be bad for your children's children. That kind of just makes the, some logical sense, right? And so what the idea is, is that Christ actually brings a, the Holy Spirit is, descends upon the believer and is the thing that brings comfort, meaning ease. So this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes in, right? The, 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 that Spirit inside of you is to help you be good so that if you're good, um, more good will happen and, and then generationally your children will get some good and then your children's children will get some good. Do you see what I'm saying? Like that's the generation because there's also generational blessings. So a lot of people just focus on the generational curses. But and, and why does the Christian have access to this if it's in the law of Moses? Isn't it just for Jews? And the answer is no, it's not just for Jews. You just heard that the curses are not just for Jews. So in John seven forty nine. So then the blessings are also for the Christian as well. So you can actually um, have supernatural good and the supernatural good is external. It's not this, just this, um, it's not just this spiritual thing. Oh, I'm spiritually blessed. No, it's life. It's your actual life is going to get better. Like that's the, that's the thing I think people, and it's not this prosperity gospel. Prosperity in the Old Testament and Hebrew really just kind of depicts um, having a, a road that you're walking on and that road um, having good, it's a good road to be on. It leads you to a good place. So it almost seems there is some kind of connection to just ge this generational pathology and these curses. Um, hopefully that makes sense. So Let's actually um, transition from here. Um, what I want to do is go through some scripture. If you can turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy 28. And um, this is going to be a little bit of reading. So um, and I'll do my best to kind of. Um, narrate but i'm not going to go too far into it actually i probably won't there's like about 30 30 verses that i thought i should read probably not going to read them all but let's let's start with the blessings um it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of thy, the lord thy god to observe and to do all his commandments which i command thee this day that the lord thy god will set thee on high above all nations of the earth so you'll be set high you'll you'll be you'll you'll have status You'll have influence if you obey. All these blessings shall come upon thee, overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And hearken is, is also has to do with perception. It's like being willing to take the time to, to have a proper perception about what God is asking is important. So all these blessings shall come... Um, Come on thee, verse three, blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt thou be in the fruit of thy body and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle and 
the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed um, shall be your basket in thy store. Um, blessed you uh, shalt thou be when you come in and when you go. So you can see here, it's like, well, it starts off with city and, uh, city and field. So places. You'll be blessed in all places. You'll be blessed in the fruit of your body. So like, it almost seems so. If you're not able to have children, that's actually a generational curse. Do you see what I'm saying? Like now we can we can pinpoint what exactly is a generational curse. It's like that's a generational curse. It's also a generational blessing. So somewhere in the line, the 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 byproduct of sinfulness in your family history is corrupt DNA, which can be broken through the spirit of Christ. So, you know, I'm going to navigate to Galatians real quick. And we're going to read Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you put yourself under the law, you put yourself under the curse. This is why Jesus is very adamant about we're not Christendom is not about um, putting the Ten Commandments on this pedestal. It's it's about putting Jesus on the pedestal and understanding that good is an embodiment. And so it must be embodied. Good has to be embodied. You can't really define good by just a list of things. Good is a person and it's that person of Jesus Christ. So in Jesus himself if we put ourselves under him, we put ourselves under the embodiment of good versus just this, um, this, these 10 commandments that are just in this stasis of no life, you know, and that's why it says um, the law makes faith void because the moment you look at the law, you're disqualified from anything good because in the book of James, um, it also says um, in, in the book of James... I think that's um, book of James 2.10, if I'm correct, 2.10. Let's see the book of James 2.10. It says, uh, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So it's like one sin, like Adam's sin, sent all of mankind into infinite chaos, Okay into infinite sinfulness, which merits infinite, an infinite amount of bad, which is hell. Okay, so if there's a, if one sin can set off an infinite amount of bad, so just imagine one thing, bing, and then this energy sends this infiniteness of bad into the universe. And it echoes through the universe, the known world, the, the, the physical world. Boom. It sweeps back, hits man, knocks man on his butt. An angel shows up with a flaming sword, kicks them out of the garden in one, in one moment. So that every sin that we do generates an infinite amount of bad. So the, the consequence has to be eternal and the eternal consequence would naturally be what we know as hell, where it's, there's no autonomy and you're infinitely in a place with no autonomy. That seems to be what hell is. 
So you see here, he says, if you offend in one, you all oh, for he said, for he that saith, do not commit adultery said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery yet, if thou kill thou art become a transgressor of the law. Does that make, does that make sense? It's, it, so if it sends us into this infinite bad, right? That's why he's saying is that anyone who's under the law in Galatians uh, 3.10 is cursed for his written. Curses everyone that continueth not in all things, all which are written in the book of the law to do them. And in Greek, all means all. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. The, the just have to live by faith because if you have this infinite consequence for one bad you've done, you know, waiting to swallow up your soul, you have to, by faith, believe, like, in order to think that you could somehow manage any good in the afterlife or receiving any good in the afterlife. I mean, you have to do it by faith, and it has to be in faith. It has to be in something that's, like, concrete, and it's... it's how about it, a divine life? How about a divine life for a divine life? And that divine life um, allows you to have access to the blessing, you know, that, and then it's a generational blessing instead. It's that you actually get married and it works. You, you actually, like, are able to, like, be set free, like, where you're, you're the first in your family to not be poor, you know? Like, that stuff is real. Like, you can see it all over the world, the generational curses. It's, it's alive all over the entire world. And it's not God's judgment. Like, God is not sitting there judging individuals and saying, well, I'm going to judge you in this life. No, it seems to be just built into our existence. It's built in that if it's almost like it's 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 like supposed to be there to regulate you from doing bad, you know, and then when someone in your genealogy decides to do bad, I mean, that's not your fault. It really isn't. But. But do you deserve good as well? Do you see what I'm saying? So the opportunity to. To, to have bad happen to you and have good happen to you both exist. And they seem to be in this framework of like sowing and reaping, right? You sow a seed and you wait long enough and it becomes a tree. So it's not like you do good and then you get instant good. It's that you, 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 you do good and then it plants a seed and then that seed becomes something. And then the same thing, it's like, like if you do bad, that, that it gives birth to the, the weeds and then the weeds will will always try to suffocate the good in your life. And I, I feel like in my life, if I can think about my, what might be a curse in my life, let me see. Maybe poverty. Um, let's just say like bad mental health. Addictions. Um, I mean, there could be other things too. So it's like, well, Maybe right now this is me breaking my curse, right? It's like having faith and, and doing these kind of studies and understanding it and saying, wait a minute, like I, I have totally ignored this. 
as a as an idea about what might be wrong with my life, right? And then you focus on it and then you're like able to have faith in God for these particular things because you need to be made aware. And then this affects the quality of your life. So there's something to be said about all this, you know? So that if like, you know, like we're reading, like we were reading in Deuteronomy, And it's like, let's go to the curses in uh, verse 16, 28, 16, Deuteronomy. Cursed shall you be in the city and in the field. It's like, well, everywhere I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a curse. And the curse can be reduced to uh, the word unlucky. It's that lucky would be like, okay, well, a random good came your way, right? So if you're a Christian, we don't necessarily believe in luck. So it's a phrase of speech people use. So I know a lot of people are so technical. They're like in church that you kind of like, oh, don't use the word lucky. Well, you know, sometimes it's just a phrase of speech. So it's not really like saying lucky, but the intention is obviously like some like just a random good happened and I'm happy about it. Right. That lucky could just mean that as well. But unlucky is it like. So it's not really random. I don't know, maybe unluck. So it's, it's not random, but it's a, it's a bad occurrence. Bad occurrences that are not necessarily random. Maybe they're deserving. Maybe that's what unlucky means. Like if you kind of pull, like create the opposite polarity of lucky. Maybe it means unlucky just means that you're going to have a random occurrences of bad, right? So it could mean that too. But, and that's what the curses might that's how the curses might manifest. They might manifest in their own way and, and at whatever degree, whatever degree they want to, maybe. Maybe that's how the curses operate. But they're from disobedience to the law of Moses. So if you're, you're immoral, then you will be in essence cursed. And where you go, but you know that there's wicked people that are rich. So it's like, so this curse here, 17 says, uh, curse is your basket in your store. It's like, well, that's your buying and selling. So maybe you're an evil person. You're, you have malevolence in you and it rules your life and it rules your actions. And maybe it's just everywhere you go, you seem to have a hard time, right? Or, but it's not necessarily that, let's just say you're evil and you're a salesman. It's like, well, Maybe the manifestation of your store not being cursed, maybe that hasn't happened. And so maybe you're cursed with the fruit of your body and you're cursed with, you know, having a hard time everywhere you go. And you're probably cursed um, with pestilence. Maybe you get, um, you're get you prone to sickness. Um, maybe your enemies seem to always have one up on you, right? Um, verse 25 says, the Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Um, verse 30, thou shall betroth a wife and another man shall lie with her. Thou shall build a house and thou shall not dwell therein. Thou shall plant a vineyard and, th and shall not gather the grapes thereof. So your, your efforts will be wasteful and you'll have a wife <laughs> and she'll cheat on you. Like that's a curse. 
that sounds like, like actual life, right? Like that happens to people and people think, well, that's, that's part of the curse. It's part of, well, that's a given because it's like the law says don't commit adultery. And so therefore it's like, well, look at the bad. You, don't, you, you know, maybe, maybe if you violate the Ten Commandments, there's a, maybe a relating curse to it, right? Whatever, like, ten, whatever, which one of the Ten Commandments you violated, maybe there's a curse to it. I don't know, but it seems here that these curses are very much to vex your actual life. They're very much to cause chaos on a daily basis. This is not your life and my life. 80% of what our life is, is brushing your teeth, using the bathroom, eating, sleeping, talking, conversating with people you know and love. And if that's bad, then 80% of your life is bad. Do you see what I'm saying? So the curse seems to affect us in that way, where the quality of your life is diminished. And maybe you're barely learning about this for the first time. You know, and it's like, let's just say your work life is good, but then your relationships are trash. And then it's like, well, there's, you know, obviously that's part of being human, but it's also like, Maybe that's how the curses manifest. Maybe it's not so spiritual as we think we think it is, but it's super spiritual at the same time, right? Like, it's it happens spiritually, and it's divine in a sense, um, and it's a divine consequence for sinfulness. But it manifests literally in the smallest details of your life. So. Kind of want to take a pivot here because, you know, we go back to the law real quick. So it seems Jesus speaks on this principle a little bit. And it's a principle. Um, I was doing some research and I ran into Simon Sinek. Um, he does some research on. Um, how would you put it? There's people basically who. Like, like, here's the example. You're skiing. So if you're skiing and you're focusing, don't hit the tree. Right. That's one way to look at it. If you're skiing, if you're going down a mountain, right, don't hit the tree, don't hit the trees, don't hit the trees. Another way to look at it is follow the path. And so the, the, the more like positive way to look at it is to follow the path, stay on the path, stay on the path, stay on the path. The negative way to look at it is don't hit the tree. So with the law. It seems the law of Moses, the Bible says the law is the strength of sin. So the don't, don't do adultery seems to produce more evil because what happens is now people know not to do it, but they try to finesse and hide and secretly do it, which makes it 10 times worse. It makes it more malicious. So the law, if the law strengthens sin, the law gives sin a power to be more malicious. So then when Jesus speaks the laws, you know, of the Ten Commandments, and he kind of speaks them in an inverse reality. And that inverse reality is like, so let's just say you have, uh, like, you shouldn't murder. You know, Jesus is like, value life. Love your neighbor. Don't murder, love your neighbor. If I focus on loving my neighbor, that's the positive, right? So then it's like, 
you get what you focus on versus saying, well, just, I'm just going to avoid not murdering. So Jesus brings the highest good of the law to the Christian believer and says, okay, focus and meditate on these things instead. So, so this is why we don't live by the law of Moses. We're not supposed to live in that, in that, in that downside of it, of that opposite polarity of don't, obviously you don't want to kill and obviously you don't want to commit adultery, but the focus of Jesus is love your wife, love your neighbor. Instead of not stealing, give, be generous. Because if I focus on the good, right, I'm probably keeping myself out of becoming legalistic and trying to measure how to avoid not looking like I steal, but wanting to steal. How to avoid not looking like I'm a lustful person creeping after other men's wives, but reality, that's what some people are doing. And that's why Jesus even took it. It's like he took the, the law to the highest extent. It's like, even if you think these things, you're manifesting your legalistic nature, which will then in turn make you more sinful. And then manifesting more of the curses in your life. Because you're, ob you're obligating yourself to the law when you think that way. You know, it's like, even with the Sabbath, it's like, well, keep the Sabbath. So, okay, well, it sounds like a positive, but in reality, it's like, well, it, the Christian isn't to keep the Sabbath. The Christian is to understand that you don't end your work with rest anymore. So you work, 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 rest. No. You start with the rest so you can perform well. And that's like the typology of salvation is that you're saved. Work it out. You know, that God will work out the will to do that which pleases him in us. You know, it's like, you know, put God first. It's like, well, okay. It's like, have no other gods. It's like, well, no, don't focus on not having other gods. Make God the priority. You see what I'm saying? There's an inverse reality that exists within the law. And it seems to be, if we focus on that, um, we can manifest the good, the blessings of the law, the generational blessings of the law by having that kind of framework of thinking. But that's only done through having faith in Christ that what he did on the cross allows me to that when I do something good, not that I expect good to happen, but I can have a confident expectation that good will come from it. It's not that I'm, I'm waiting to receive something. It's that the good I do will have ramifications of more good that will in turn plant a good seed in turn lead to a tree that at some point will be able to eat from, you know, allegorically speaking. And then that allegory manifests into actual life where the quality of your life increases because of your faith in the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross as the legal means for you to have access to the goodness of the law, which is manifested by focusing on love your neighbor, be generous, give, right? Like have God as the priority, 
you know, don't spend any energy making physical idols, spending time on, on making physical things important. Focus on spiritual things. Do things that have spiritual eternal consequences that are positive and good, that are infinitely good. Do choices that make choices that are that have infinitely good consequences. And that seems to be how we should look at the law versus the other way we subject ourselves to the law. If you walk around saying, well, I haven't done I haven't done this bad. I haven't done that bad. It seems to be that's kind of what the the legalism that the you know, that the Bible wants us to stay away from from a Christian perspective. If that's making sense. So the curses can be manifested. I mean, if you take the principles of the curses, they're, they're manifested in having a discomfort everywhere you go, having issues with buying and selling, having issues with progeny and effort, having issues that anything that's involved with you, having issues of where you travel, having issues with germs, infections, having issues with where you live being bad, having issues with enemies, having issues with not being able to create a legacy. I think even in verse 28, it, it's, it talks about the insanity and anxiety. Like, check this out. Deuteronomy, um, let's see, Deuteronomy, I think 28. The Lord shall smite thee with madness, blindness, and astonishment of heart. You're going to be shocked. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to be stressed. And that seems to be a manifestation in that research as well, right? There's, there's, wow, there's just unexplained in mood, like mood, mood issues and anxiety and, and, and your hormones are out of whack. And that seems to be also a part of the curses. And so how are they fixed? Well, let's go back to Galatians and kind of wrap this up real quick. Um, I don't want to keep you guys here forever, but Galatians 10, so, or 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. Self-evident. We all know we, we're, we're not perfect. Even if you're not a Christian, you, everyone pretty much knows that. It's given. The just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth in them shall live in them. So if, if you try to live this moral life just through the structure of the law with no faith in Christ, I mean, you're damned. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the spirit of the, the promise of the spirit through faith, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if, it's, if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth it or add thereunto. Now to Abraham and his seed were these promises made. He said, not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So it's basically saying here that Christ, Christ was shown to Abraham. That Abraham saw Christ in the stars. And he said, your seed your star, the star, like what, what, what God did 
with Abraham in the story of Genesis in Genesis 15, when he told them about his, the seed, he's saying it was singular. It was, it was a reference to Christ and that Abraham believed that Jesus would come into the world and die for the sins, which then made him righteous, giving him access to the cross before it happened. Okay, that's uh, Hebrews 11 tells that story, um, how up until the law, every person who you know, had the interaction, that interaction with God was given some kind of revelation about Jesus Christ coming into the world to die for sin. And he's saying that the only reason we're able to supersede the law of Moses is because this already existed before. It preceded it. Abraham's the grandpa of Moses, in a sense, right? The great, great grandpa. And I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So they can't just throw away the law. So the law is not thrown away, but it has its place, which is like to lead us to Christ, to, to say, okay, we're, nothing in me is good. And even when I try to do good, it's mixed with bad intention. And I understand that now. And I'm going to put all my faith in Christ is the only means for me to walk into eternity. And that gives me power now to legally be blessed because it's the it's the it's the that Jesus reaped what you sowed and then and that you reap what he sowed. If that makes sense. So hopefully this is helpful. Um, I'm, I really want to be helpful. You know, if you're a Christian believer, definitely. I, I, I hope this is helpful and gives you some insight. And it gave me a lot of insight. This is my third time doing it. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, as I keep going, I will try my best to to just be open. And um, and again, I'm not saying I'm right about all this. These are just ideas I'm throwing out and I'm just trying to navigate. Um, you know, I have experience with theology. So I've, you know, taught the Bible 11 years. And, and so I'm much stronger in my theology than I am in my psychology. But the more I study psychology, I kind of start seeing these kind of like parallels and these comparisons. And, you know, I've seen this um, generational cursing concept just be butchered like too many times. And so I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm happy how this one turned out and I'll be posting this one. So um, much love, guys. Uh, um, again, I'm not an expert in psychology, but. I'm doing my best to learn and grow and uh, it's a daily thing for me. So um, I'm dedicating my life to this and I want to help people. So hopefully this is helpful and clears up the air about generational curses, how to use Christ and then the gospel to overcome them and the redemption of the curse, you know, comes through Jesus. So God bless. Take care and thank you.